welcome to Best Laid Plans. This is your host, Sarah Hart Unger, and this is a podcast where we talk all things planning and planning adjacent. Today, I have for you a very exciting guest. I heard Nir Ayal on the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast a couple months back, and I really heard him say something akin to, the secret to not being distracted and living a life of intentionality is planning. And when he said that or something like that, because I didn't you know, copy it verbatim, I was like, he must be a future guest on Best Laid Plans. So I submitted my information and I'm very, very excited that he is on the podcast today chatting with me. If I had one wish list, it would be to learn a little bit more about the specifics of how he plans. I don't feel like we got into that in great detail. So maybe I'll have to do some sort of supplement in the future. Uh, But we still had a really nice conversation and I really enjoyed learning what he has learned over his course of study on the topic of distraction. So without further ado, here comes the interview. I am so excited to welcome here today Nir Eyal, who is a best-selling author of the book Indistractable, which I very much enjoyed, as well as a former Stanford professor. And I heard him on a podcast recently that we'll talk about where he basically told everyone the secret to everything was planning. And so I am so <laughs> excited to have you on this show. Welcome, Nir. Thank you so much. Great to be here with you. So I greatly enjoyed Indistractable. And Thank I you. think one of the reasons I did enjoy it was because I've always been a little bit fixated on planning and intentionality and just, you know, designing that life that really looks like you want it to. And distractions are kind of like enemy number one when you are trying to do that. What got you interested in looking at distraction? Yeah. So for me, it was a very personal need. I was a very distractible person. And uh, there was one particular moment in my life where I had to kind of reassess my relationship with distraction, which was when I was with my daughter one afternoon and we had some some daddy-daughter time. We just were going to spend a, a great afternoon together. And I remember we had this activity book of things that dads and daughters could do together. And one of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question. If you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember that question verbatim, but I can't tell you what my daughter said. Because in that moment, for whatever reason, I decided it was a good time to start looking at my phone. And by the time I looked up, she was gone. She had left the room because I was sending her this very clear message that whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. And so that's when I really had to reassess my own relationship with distraction. And to be honest, Sarah, it didn't just happen with my daughter. It would happen at work when I would say, oh, I've got that big project. I really need to focus and work on that project. And yet I check email and Slack notifications and everything else except the big project. Or with my health, you know, I would say, oh, today I'm going to eat right. I'm going to start exercising. But I didn't and I wouldn't. And I cannot tell you, Sarah, how many aspects of my life have improved since I've become indistractable because there's no area of your life that doesn't depend on your ability to control your attention, whether it's your mental health, your physical health, your relationships, your career, all of these things require us to be able to control our attention because this is how we choose our life. Oh my gosh. Well, without asking you to summarize all the secrets in your book, I guess my question would be, you know, our listeners are really good at creating those plans. I mean, a lot of people are heavy planner users or electronic tool users, but it's the sticking to those plans and avoiding those distractions that are the biggest pitfalls. So what are some of the top ways that you have found in which to, I guess, eliminate those distractions and become more indistractable? Yeah. So let's start first with what is distraction, really? I think this is an important term to define because I think it's something that I thought I understood, but when you ask people 
or myself, like what, what is distraction really? We kind of get wishy-washy answers. So the best way to understand what distraction is, is to understand what distraction is not. What is the opposite of distraction? Most people will tell you the opposite of distraction is focus, right? I don't want to be distracted. I want to be focused, but that's not exactly right. That if you look at the origin of the word distraction, the opposite is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. We have traction and distraction. Both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do, things that you do with intent, things that move you closer to your goals and help you live out your values and become the kind of person you want to become. Those are acts of traction. The opposite of traction, distraction. Distraction is any action that pulls you away from what you said you were going to do, away from your goals, away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. So this isn't just semantics. This is super important because I would argue the difference between traction and distraction is one word. And that one word is intent. So these days you hear a lot of blaming and shaming, a lot of medicalizing and moralizing around technology. Oh, technology is bad for you. Technology is distracting. Technology is melting your brain. Ridiculous. It's just another moral (laughs) panic. If you want to go on Facebook, if you want to listen to podcasts, if you want to watch Netflix, if you want to play video games, do it. Do it. Enjoy. Right? Like life is for spending your time in ways you enjoy. But do it with intent. Do it with intent. Do it on your schedule and according to your values, not someone else's. So if you want to spend time playing video games, great. You can plan for that time and now it becomes traction. As opposed to if it's not planned for, it can become distraction. What I learned actually is that the greatest source of distraction is not the usual suspects, right? If you're playing Candy Crush at work, you know you're slacking off, right? That's obvious. What we don't realize is that the greatest source of distraction is the kind of distraction that tricks us and we don't even realize we're distracted. And I'll give you an example. It's when you sit down at your desk and you say, oh, I've got to work on that big project. I have to do that that thing I've been procrastinating on. Let me just check email for a quick minute. Well, email is a work-related task. I'm being productive, aren't I? I have to do that at some point. And yet that is a distraction. Even if it's a work-related task, it's a distraction because it's not what you said you were going to do with your time. So just because something is a work-related task doesn't mean it's not a distraction. In fact, that's the most dangerous kind of distraction because it tricks you into prioritizing the urgent and the easy work at the expense of the hard and important work you have to do to move your life and career forward. So that's the first thing is to understand what is traction and what is distraction. And as you said, you know, there's a lot to planning because you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if you have a big open calendar full of white space, well, then what exactly did you get distracted from? You didn't plan what you were going to do. Everything's a distraction. So that I think your audience understands and you certainly understand. The missing piece, if you ask, well, why don't we stick to our plans when we make them is because we skipped a step. The most important step to becoming indistractable, the first step is to understand and master our internal triggers. So there are two kinds of triggers. We have external triggers. This is the usual suspects, right? The pings, the dings, the rings, the things in our outside environment that can lead us towards distraction. But studies find that is only 10% of the reason we get distracted, 10%. So what's the other 90%? The other 90% is not what's happening outside of us. It's not our phones. It's not the television. It's not the stuff outside of us. It's about what's happening inside of us. These are called internal triggers. Loneliness, boredom, fatigue, anxiety, stress, uncertainty, loneliness. These are the internal triggers that prompt 90% of our distractions. So in order to become indistractable, in order to do what you say you're going to do, in order to carry out your plans and live the kind of life you deserve, 
you have to understand what is driving the distraction in the first place. Distraction is not a moral failing. There's nothing wrong with you. We're not broken in any way. It's just that we haven't learned how to deal with discomfort that is the source of almost all of our distractions. That's why we don't do what we say we're going to do. If you think about it, what's the number one reason people fail at their goals? They quit, right? I want to get in shape, but after my New Year's resolution, eh, I, I quit. Uh, if, if it's, uh, I want to work on that big project. I want to start that business. I want to write the book. I want to have a great relationship. The reason is we quit. It's as simple as that. Well, why do we quit? We quit because we don't feel like it. I know I need to exercise. I don't feel like it. I know I need to work on that big project. I don't feel like it. I know I need to make those sales calls, but I don't feel like it. If we don't deal with the feelings, no life hack, no tips and tricks, no gurus will help us. We have to learn how to master those internal triggers or they become our masters. That's so interesting. And I 100% agree with you about the internal triggers. And a lot of them have some emotional weight to them. So what would you say if that weight had value? Like, let's say you do have a very stressful job, you're doing cold calls or something, and you have this voice that's like, I got to check my email because I'm stressed and whatever. You're arguing to perhaps like, I don't know, acknowledge that and figure out another way to deal with the stressors or perhaps create a schedule that's more palatable so that you know there is a built-in break? How would you combat somebody who's like, well, yeah, it's an escape hatch, but I need that escape hatch? Yeah. So it's not that these that these tasks themselves are bad, right? Like checking email or playing video games or scrolling social media, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with these things. It's why we do them. Are we doing them because we can't deal with discomfort in a healthy way? Or are we doing them because they actually serve us? And so the question is, is to know why we are doing these behaviors. So if you want to schedule time to read the news or check Facebook or whatever it is that, that you find is distracting you, that's fine. Have that time scheduled, right? Have that in your day so that you know, okay, it's coming up, right? So one of the biggest distractions in the workplace these days is, is email, right? We constantly check email, not because it's really that important that we check email every five minutes, <laughs> but because we have a fear, an irrational fear that someone might need us right? And so we justify the fact that we are constantly checking and pecking at our phones because we think, oh, it, it's, I have to, I need it, right? So we fool ourselves. Whereas opposed to we say, look, I do need a break. Okay, great. Do a break, but schedule that break. But then how do we, how do we last long enough to schedule that break? Okay. So there's many, many different techniques. I talk about over a, do- a dozen different techniques in the book, and these are all research backed. I'm not one of these you know, self-help guys that says, well, it worked for me, so it's going to work for you. No, no, no. I need to see the peer-reviewed studies. And so uh, there's many different techniques. And the idea is to have several arrows in your quiver ready to go so that when you feel that discomfort, you know what to do with it. And by the way, that discomfort is not a bad thing. One of the best things we can do is to reshape how we think about it. Many people think, oh, if I feel the urge to get distracted, right? If I don't like the work I'm doing, well, then that must be something wrong with me right? It's, there's, maybe I'm not cut out for this. And so a lot of it is about reframing and realizing, wait a minute, no, that same internal trigger can be very healthy. If you feel anxious, stressed, nervous about something, that means you think it's really important. And so we can leverage these internal triggers like rocket fuel to lead us towards traction rather than trying to escape it with too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook. I don't care. Using that, that the distraction to escape things, rather we can use it to propel us forward. So there's many different techniques we can use. We can reimagine the task. We can reimagine our temperament. There's all kinds of things we can do. One of the techniques that I use almost every single day is called the 10-minute rule. And the 10-minute rule comes from acceptance and commitment therapy. And the idea here is that you can give in to any distraction, any distraction in 10 minutes. 
okay? Not right now, in 10 minutes. Because what we know is that abstinence can backfire. So when people tell themselves, don't do something, right? Don't smoke the cigarette. Don't eat the chocolate cake if you're on a diet. Don't check email. When you tell yourself, don't do something, this elicits what we call psychological reactance. Reactance is this, this feeling of rebelling when someone tells you what to do, when your autonomy is threatened. And the weird thing is, here's how screwed up our brains are, <laughs> right? That even if it's you telling yourself not to do something, you, it also elicits reactance, right? We've all felt being micromanaged by our boss or our mom telling us to put on a coat if it's cold outside. And you feel like that, that feeling of don't tell me what to do. That's reactance. But you can elicit reactance in yourself. So when we tell ourselves not to do something, it actually makes us want it more. And the relief that we finally get from giving into that temptation feels good. So we're reinforcing the very thing we're trying not to do. So instead of telling yourself, no, don't do it, what you're going to tell yourself is not yet, not yet. So what I do every day, you know, I've been writing for years now professionally, and I've written two bestsellers and countless articles. And every time I write, writing is hard. (laughs) Like I want to do everything but the writing. I want to go Google something. I want to go check email. I want to do everything but the writing. And so what I have to tell myself is, okay, I'm going to set a timer for 10 minutes. And if at the end of those 10 minutes, I still want to do that thing that I think is so important, I can do it. I'm an adult. I can do it. That's fine. But I'm not going to do it right now. I'm going to do it for 10 minutes. I I can do it in 10 minutes. And so for those 10 minutes, I have a choice to make. I can either get back to the writing, get back to the task that I plan to do, or I can do what's called surf the urge. And surfing the urge acknowledges that these temptations, that these urges, we think they're going to last forever, but they never do. They're like waves, right? They crest and then they subside. And so our job, and I teach you how to do this in the book, our job is to ride those urges, to surf those urges, just like a surfer on a surfboard. And so if we learn this this skill, what we will find is by the time those 10 minutes are up, yeah, you can give in, but nine times out of 10, you don't even want to because you're back at work on the task at hand. You've successfully surfed the urge. And so that's just one of many different techniques that we can use to help us master internal triggers. I love it. I think that's a very actionable step. The next time I am at work and want to check my email for the dopamine hit. For me, it's it's less of the um, someone needs me and it's more the like, it, it's, I mean, it's a slot machine aspect. Yeah, totally. But so, so interesting. Yeah. We are going to take a quick break for today's episode sponsor, Organize 365, and we'll be right back with more from Nir. Organization always gives you time. Brian Tracy said, a minute spent planning saves you 10 in execution. You already know this. That is why you follow Sarah and listen to the Best Laid Plans podcast. The Sunday Basket is a natural partner for your planning routine. The Sunday Basket contains and corrals all your ideas, paper notes, to-do lists, and mail safely until you're ready for your weekly planning time. The Sunday Basket system has been proven to save five hours each week once you establish a weekly habit, which usually takes four to six weeks. My name is Lisa Woodruff, and I'm the founder and creator of the Sunday Basket and the 100-Day Home Organization Program. Sarah and I chatted in episode 33, and she's been sharing her Organized 365 journey with you here on Best Late Plans. Organized 365 is proud to sponsor the Best Laid Plans podcast. You can find out more about the Sunday Basket on sundaybasket.com or try our free seven-day mini course by going to organize365.com slash mini course. 
Today's episode is sponsored in part by Factor. Factor is sponsoring this episode with an awesome discount code, PLANS50, to give you 50% off your first month and 20% off the next. Trying out our sponsors helps keep the show going, and I think this is a wonderful time to give it a try, given that it's always a busy season. Factor offers no prep and no mess meals that are tailored to your wellness goals. They offer multiple options from protein plus to plant-based to keto and many more. No matter what your health goals are, you can keep kitchen time to a minimum while enjoying healthy and delicious meals with premium ingredients with Factor. You can get started feeling great and fueling well now by giving them a try. Head to factormeals.com slash plans50 and use code plans50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code plans50, P-L-A-N-S 50 at factormeals.com slash plans50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. You are in for a treat because support for today's episode comes in part from Jenny Kane. I love Jenny Kane and I hope you love shopping there to support the show. When you do, visit JennyKane.com and use code PLANS for 15% off your first order. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and this is the perfect gift to treat all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life. Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed easier than it's ever been before. Think minimalist and effortless, yet totally refined. This season, I am so into the beautiful dresses that Jenny Kane has on offer. My personal pick and what I'm hoping to wear all season is the Callan dress. I have it in the khaki color and feel like I could literally wear it to anything. And the best part is it's perfect for warm weather, which we have plenty of, but you could also layer it in a chilly air-conditioned space. I also have my eye on the day dress. It's such a classic silhouette. One thing you might not know about Jenny Kane is that they also have an incredible rewards program where you can earn up to 10% back with every purchase and joining is completely free. Find your perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code PLANS, P-L-A-N-S, at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code PLANS. Get yourself and the women in your life the best gift of all, Jenny Kane. So let's take this to a slightly different scenario. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mario, and talk a little bit about how this applies to family life. And in particular, if there are boundaries you have set regarding either the distractions that impact yourself and your family, or I, I loved how you discussed in that other podcast, which I'll reference is from Marriage, Kids and Money, and I'll link that in the show notes. Really, uh, you know, setting boundaries around like this is time we're going to have together and actually planning that out. I'm interested in that process. Yeah. So I think maybe the most important chapter of uh, Indistractable is raising indistractable kids. For folks of parents, you know, it's we really have to worry about the next generation and, and make sure that they learn how to become indistractable because I really do believe that there will be a bifurcation in the world between people who let their time and their attention and their lives be controlled by others and people who say no. I am indistractable. I decide how I will control my time and attention. I control how I decide 
the destiny of my life. And so we have to teach our kids how to do this because if you think the world is distracting now, just wait a few years, right? It's only gonna become more distracting with virtual reality and augmented reality and who knows what else is gonna happen in reality. We have to teach our kids this essential skill. And how do we do that? So the first thing to do is to be indistractable yourself. Kids come born with what we call a hypocrisy detection device. They have these little invisible antennae that are looking for where you are being a hypocrite. And so you can't tell your, your kid to stop playing Fortnite while you're checking email and Facebook, right? It doesn't work that way. We have to become indistractable ourselves. And it's okay to tell your kids, hey, I'm struggling. This is hard, right? I, there's lots of cool things out there that I want to do with my time and attention, but I have to be conscious of it to be indistractable or else I'm going to end up doing things I later regret. So it's okay. It's okay to show your kids that you're struggling with this as well. Many parents think, oh, they have to be perfect all the time. No, no, no. It's okay to show your kids you're struggling. And then we use the same four steps that I describe in the indistractable model for ourselves, we would use with our kids. So step number one, mastering the internal triggers. And this is where there's a, you know, I could spend a lot of time talking about why kids feel this discomfort in the first place. What is their internal triggers, right? They don't have jobs, but they have all kinds of other internal triggers. And I would argue that today, kids are using technology. They are escaping with technology because they have these unmet needs, these psychological nutrients, as I call them, that they're not getting, right? We think about the physiological nutrients, right? Like our kids need vitamins, they need nutrition, they need all these things in their food. They also need it mentally. And if you look at what's happening today with kids' lives, they are severely deficient in these three psychological nutrients. And then they are looking for relief from these, the, these deficiencies. This is called the needs displacement hypothesis. They are getting what they are looking for that they're not getting offline, they're getting online right? So that's where we have to start. What's the root cause of the problem? It's not the device in their hands. It's the reason they're using the device so much in the first place. So that's step number one. Step number two is uh, making time for traction. So this is the same step for adults and for children is what we talked about earlier. It's about planning your day. It's about asking yourself, the only way to know what distraction is, is to know what, dis what is distracting you from that thing, right? You can't call something a distraction unless you know what is distracting you from. So what's the plan? right? Kids have their day mostly, you know, if they go to school, their day is already planned out. But what about after school? So making time for video games. Hey, your kid wants to play video games. Great. Let them. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with playing video games, but let's time box it. Let's say, okay, from this time to this time, this is when we play video games. That's totally fine. But then here's when we're going to have dinner together. Here's when we're going to, you know, do our homework. Here's where we're going to call grandma and grandpa, whatever the case might be. That has to be planned for in our day. And especially in these times when the world is so uncertain and there's all these uh, new changes in the world, kids need this structure. They need a schedule with them, right? Don't make the schedule for them. Do it with them so that they play a role. Then the next step is to hack back the external triggers. So we talked about how 10% of distraction is caused by these things around us, the pings, the dings, the rings. Well, we can hack back those external triggers. We're not victims here. Our phones come with amazing ways to use them less, right? There's all kinds of tools that we can implement that help us put technology in its place. We can also hack back these external triggers by declaring no phone zones. So we know that children who grow up in households where parents have frequent dinners together grow up so much healthier. Not only do they have fewer health issues when it comes to weight-related issues, bulimia, anorexia, lower rates of depression, anxiety. If you want to do something great for your kids, give them time to have dinner together as a family. Make that time together and declare it to be a no-phone zone, right? So there's some areas where just phones don't belong. And one of those areas is a dinner table. Another area is a child's bedroom. 
There is no good reason that a child needs a television or a computer or a phone in their bedroom. The reason that we're seeing a rise in depression and anxiety among kids, it's not the technology itself. It's that the technology is coming at the cost of sleep. Kids need sleep. So if there's anything that's keeping them up at night, that has to stop. So there's, there, you know, I think the, the child's bedroom, the dinner table, these are no phone zones. This is how we hack back the external triggers. And finally, prevent distraction with packs. This is the last step for how we become indistractable. We can implement this as adults. We can certainly implement it with kids. And this is all about setting a firewall, making the uh, last line of defense against distraction so that when we are tempted and we've set these other three principles in practice, the mastering internal triggers, making time for traction, hacking back external triggers, as the last line of defense, we also make these packs. So one thing that that I do in my household with my daughter and uh, I, I use it myself, I use technology to prevent me from getting distracted by technology. How do I do that? So one example, I give dozens in the book. One is uh, an app called Forest. And Forest is this great little app that you can use that when you want to do focused work time, you set a timer in the app for whatever amount of time you want to you know, work without distraction. And a cute little tree is planted, okay, on your screen. And if you pick up your phone and you try and do anything with it, the cute little virtual tree gets chopped down, okay? So it reminds you, nope, that's not what you want to do with your time. I mean, of course you could still, but if you do that, there's a consequence. So it locks you in. It's a pre-commitment. My 13-year-old daughter uses it all the time. I use it all the time. This is a way that we can prevent distraction with a pact. You make a pact with yourself or somebody else, you're going to stay focused for that period of time. It's very, very effective. So it's really about these four strategies in concert. And it's something anybody can do, a child, an adult, we can all become indistractable. I love it. I want you to also talk about your ritual that you have, I think, with your partner in terms of setting up the week so Mm. that kind of your global planning methods. I want to hear how you plan your day, how you set up that traction. I want to hear how you do that week with your partner, which I heard that previously, but the other part would be new to me. And I want to hear about kind of longer term goal setting. And if you have any structured way that you go about doing that, given that you accomplish a lot, but you have a career that's very self-driven. So it's not like Mm -hmm. someone's telling you what to do. So there has to be some thought, I'm guessing, that goes into direction and goals and, you know, long, long term plans. Yeah, yeah. So I'll start with the the last question first. Yeah, I think in in many ways it's easier to have a job with a boss that tells you what to do. <laughs> right? It's it's people who have their own business or their own side hustles, right? Like we have almost too much freedom, right? It's that freedom that can drive us crazy. That's when we can fill our time with whatever we want. It's harder when someone doesn't give you a schedule. So what I have to do is to uh, make time for traction by turning my values into time. Okay, what are values? Values are attributes of the person you want to become. So what we have to do is to sit down and ask ourselves, what are our values? What kind of person do we want to become? And so many people, I think, make the mistake of of thinking about this too far out, right? They make five-year plans. They make vision boards, right? (laughs) Whereas what I advise people to do is let's start with tomorrow. How would the person you want to become spend their time, right? If you want to see someone's values, look at how they spend their time and how they spend their money right? But money, you know, we, we're all so cheap with our money, right? We clip coupons, we share, uh, we, we split checks, we look for deals. But, you know, we should be stingy with our time. We should be generous with our money, but stingy with our time. Why? Because time is not a renewable resource. You can always make more money. You cannot make more time. So we have to plan that time in advance. So how do we do that? We look to our values. 
And we ask ourselves, how would the person I want to become spend their time? And so I break it down into these three life domains. You, you're at the center of these three life domains. How would the person you want to become spend time taking care of themselves? Do they make time to read? Do they make time to, to learn? Do they make time to exercise? Do they make time for proper rest and nutrition? Put that in your calendar. And I'm not going to tell you how to spend your time. If you want to you know, eat at Taco Bell all day and not exercise, that's fine. I don't care. <laughs> it's your life. But make that time. Be intentional about how you want to spend that time. Then your relationships domain. One of the reasons we have a loneliness epidemic in the industrialized world is that people don't make time for their relationships like they used to. People used to go to the bowling league or the Kiwanis club or the church group. They don't do that like they used to anymore. And this is not a a, a new thing. This has been happening since the 1990s. It's been documented that people don't make time for their friends like they used to. Put that time in your schedule for your friends, for your family, for your loved ones, for your siblings. Don't uh, give them whatever scraps of time are left over. Plan the time and keep it sacred, just like you would if you know, if, if uh, Michael Jordan or Oprah or somebody wanted to have, you know, a celebrity wanted to have lunch with you, would you keep that appointment? Yeah. So why don't we make time for the most important people in our life? We have to put it on our calendar. Then finally, your work domain. So this is where most people spend most of their time. But the way they spend their time is doing what we call reactive work, reacting to emails, reacting to notifications, reacting to all the, the pings and dings in their life. And they spend very little time doing what's called reflective work. And this is what separates low performers from high performers. Reflective work is the kind of work you can only do without distraction. Planning, strategizing, thinking, for God's sakes, requires us to do so without distraction. So low performers, they enjoy the fact that they don't have to think about what to do. Whatever my email inbox tells me what to do, whatever the pings and dings tell me what to do, that's what I do. And they don't have to think about it. Whereas a high performer makes time in their day, whether they're, you know, whether they're an entrepreneur or whether they have a boss, it doesn't matter. They make some time, some time in their day for that reflective work. Because if they don't, this is what happens. People run real fast in the wrong direction. So you have to make at least some time in your day for that reflective work time and plan it and keep it sacred. So that's how, that's how we plan our day. So now how do you do that practically? How does, how does this manifest in my own life? So once a week, I sit down Sunday evenings and I plan my calendar. Now I've been doing it for a while now, so it takes me maybe 10 minutes because I tend to have the same things happen at the same times per the, in the week. And so all I have to do is make small changes for the week ahead based on how the last week went to make the next week even easier to stick to that schedule. Then what I do is called a schedule sync. I sit down with my wife and we review each other's schedules. And again, this takes maybe 10 minutes, right? It's incredibly effective, but it has done so much for our relationship because what we found in the past, we would have these arguments about, hey, you know, why aren't you taking out the trash and you didn't feed our daughter or, you know, the, the, the dishes aren't washed. And now we never have that argument anymore. And this is something, by the way, that really affects women more than men. This is something that studies have found that even in households where both, uh, in heterosexual households where a husband and wife work outside the home, women still take on a disproportionate share of household admin, right? Even when they both work outside the home. And this is the cure. The cure is to sit down and plan the time. Because I would you know, say to my wife, she would get angry at me for not doing something. And I would say, well, if you want me to do something, just tell me, right? Just tell me, honey. And what I didn't realize is that I was asking her to do yet another job. Now I want her to be my, my, uh, my, my camp counselor, right? <laughs> like that's not yet another job. I've interviewed uh, Eve Rodsky and I would just love to hear her response to that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? 
Oh, she's the writer who wrote Fair Play. Uh-huh. She, she, that's that's her life's work is is working on equality in marriages. And yes, that's it. That's such a. But that's wonderful that you got past that. That yeah. you got past that count, camp counselor mode because that's exactly. That's I didn't realize an it. issue. <laughs> totally, it was one of my values to have an equitable marriage. And then here I was thinking, oh, I'm the good guy. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Well, I didn't realize it was actually making more work for her. So now we don't have that problem anymore. Why? Because we sit down for five minutes and we look at each other's schedule. It's changed our marriage. We've been married 20 years now. We never have this argument anymore that we used to have all the time because I know exactly what my responsibilities are. They're on my schedule. By the way, you can use this exact same technique with your boss, right? You can sit down with your boss and you can say, hey, boss, here's my schedule for the week, okay? You see this schedule? I've made it. Look how pretty it is, nine to five. Here's what I'm gonna do. You know, the meetings, the emails, the, the projects you want me to work on. Okay, you see that? Now, here's this other list. You see this other piece of paper? I have this list of all these things you've asked for me to do, and I'm having trouble prioritizing. Can you help me reprioritize? Which helps us escape one of the worst pieces of personal productivity advice. You hear it all the time. I hate it. The per- that You hear this, uh, this saying that if you want to be more productive, you have to learn how to say no. That is the kind of stupid advice that only a professor with tenure could give people. That is dumb advice. If you tell your boss no, you're going to get fired. So don't tell them no. Ask them to help you prioritize. Okay, here's all the stuff you asked for me to do. Don't say no. Say, that's a great idea, boss. Here's my schedule. What would you like me to reprioritize, right? So that's schedule sync, sitting down with your boss for 10 minutes on Monday morning. They will worship the ground you walk on because they don't know what you're doing all day, (laughs) right? They have no clue. Give them transparency by showing them your schedule. But you can only do that when you start creating this artifact, this, this physical manifestation of a planned schedule. And from a very concrete question that is probably much more in the weeds than most of the theoretical stuff you go into, where are these schedules? Are they in Google Calendar? Are they in Outlook? Are they in paper for you specifically? For me, it's in Google Calendar, but the best tool is the one you use, right? If it's paper, fine. If it's a notebook, I don't care. If it's an app, it doesn't matter. It's not the tool. It's the the thing you use. It's like exercise. Oh, how should I lift weights? What kind of protein should I do? It doesn't matter. Just do it. <laughs> no, so, I totally so get it. I use I and use Google Calendar. The reason I use all different systems on this podcast. Yeah. The yes. reason I like Google Calendar is because you know ninety percent of my day now that I've been doing this for a while is is the same. So I'm only making you know ten percent changes here and there. So I like it because I can make reoccurring appointments for email time or reading time or writing time or meeting time it stays the same and uh, I don't have to you know, update the whole calendar from week to week. So that's what I found to be most useful. But there's probably better tools out there, frankly. <laughs> there's so many tools out there and that's, yeah. that's the nice thing. You figure out what works for you, what works to share. And you know, some people love paper and yeah. yes, no, that's fantastic. Well, this has been wonderful. I think that everybody hearing this is going to go straight to your website and straight to your book. I really, it was one of my favorite books that I read. Either, I think it was in 2021. It was excellent. Thank you. Or in 20, when did it come out? 2019? I might have read uh, late it. Late 2019. Yeah. Okay. It might have been 2020 that I read it. But either way, five stars. Um, a great read. So many like truly actionable ideas, which not every book of that genre always contains. So I hope people check it out. So tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah. So my blog is at near and far, near spelled like my first name. So that's N-I-R and far.com. And the book is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. And if you go to indistractable.com, there's actually a complimentary workbook there, 80 page workbook that we couldn't fit to the, into the final edition of the book. So we decided to give it out for free. So go check that out and that'll start you on your path to becoming indistractable. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. 
Now that was fascinating. I love chatting with Nira. I feel like I could have, I don't know, talked about so many more things. And as I said, I think he could give us more detail on specifically how he plans. Because if we have decided that something is this important, then the details of how it is done are probably important too. I mean, he gives us some little hints, but you know, more details, maybe a future episode, who knows? I'll get him to dive into his methods of exactly how his weekly meetings with his families run, et cetera, because there's certainly a difference between a weekly meeting that is effective and really helps you lay out your next week and a weekly meeting that doesn't really accomplish that much. So more fodder for the future, but I'm super excited to hear what he does next and was really excited to chat with him on this show. So I hope you enjoyed this interview. I don't do interviews that often. So when I do, it's someone I'm really, really excited about. I do have a couple in the pipeline, but if you have specific suggestions for people who you think would make wonderful interviewees on Best Laid Plans, I'd always love to hear them. Just contact me via email or on my blog. Those are the two easiest ways. My email is shoeboxblog at gmail.com, S-H-U-B-O-X-B-L-O-G at gmail.com. Or just go to theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X.com and click on the best slate plans or the contact information page and you can leave a comment or find my email address linked there. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful and undistracted week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.